Hey guys, what's going on? This is Mike Estefan from the University of Rochester School of Medicine, bringing you episode 5 of the Emergency Medicine Shelf Exam Review Series. In this week's episode, and probably next week's episode, we are going to focus on diagnostics and therapeutics for conditions that you will see on your shelf exam. The content for this week will focus on ophthalmology, toxidromes, and ingestions. My goal for the next couple episodes is going to be to cover as much content as possible in the shortest amount of time as possible. This means less vignettes for you guys and more of a rapid-fire question-answer kind of style. I also want to apologize in advance for the sound quality of this recording. It is currently downpouring in Rochester, New York, and so you guys will probably hear the storm intermittently throughout this podcast. All right, let's talk about some ophthalmology. So in the ED, how would you diagnose a corneal abrasion? Good. So you stain the eye with fluorescein, and then you examine the eye using a woods lamp. And what you're looking for is a defect in the cornea, which you can easily see with the fluorescein staining. How would you diagnose acute angle closure glaucoma? So you diagnose this with clinical symptoms such as severe eye pain, plus an elevated intraocular pressure, which is typically much higher than 20, measured by tonometry. Now, when it comes to the shelf exam, test writers love to present acute angle closure glaucoma in specific scenarios. The most common ones I've seen are after an elderly patient gets ill and takes some cold medicine. They won't give you the name of the cold medicine, but you have to assume that it has anticholinergic side effects, which dilates the pupil and can precipitate the acute angle closure glaucoma. Another commonly tested scenario is when the eye pain occurs after going into a dark movie theater, and again, the pupil dilates and it precipitates the glaucoma. Now, how do you treat acute angle closure glaucoma? So you need to reduce the intraocular pressure, and there are multiple medications that you can use, and all are fair game for the exam. So the three meds that I remember for this are timolol, pilocarpine, and acetazolamide. All right, moving on. In the ED, on the shelf exam, how do you diagnose giant cell arteritis? So this is going to be a combination of clinical symptoms, such as severe headache and jaw claudication while eating, and an elevated ESR. Now, they might ask you how you definitively diagnose GCA at a later time, and that would be with a temporal artery biopsy. However, that is not to be done in the ED, obviously. And how do you treat giant cell arteritis? Good. You give them steroids. When do you give them steroids? You give steroids as soon as freaking possible. This is a vision-threatening condition, and it is to be taken very seriously. Okay, moving on. How do you diagnose anterior uveitis? So you should suspect anterior uveitis if somebody comes in with a painful red eye. To diagnose this, you need to do a slit lamp exam, and what you're looking for is something called cell and flare. This is definitely one of those images that you want to Google if you do not know what it looks like. 
that is totally fair game for your exam. Now, this last condition isn't terribly high yield, but I still think you could see it on your exam, so I'm going to throw it in. Let's say your patient just returned from a ski trip. He was skiing all day in the mountains, and he comes to you with severe bilateral eye pain. What diagnosis do you need to suspect here? Good. So this is something called photokeratitis, or more commonly known as snow blindness. My understanding of this disease is that at higher altitudes, the UV radiation is a little stronger than at lower altitudes, and that it hits the snow, reflects off the snow, and damages your eyes. How do you diagnose photokeratitis, aka snow blindness? Good, so again, this is one of those disorders where you have to stain the eye with fluorescein and look with a woods lamp. And what you see are all these tiny little punctate lesions on the cornea. And again, I would Google this if you do not know what it looks like, but it's pretty classic. All right, next we're going to be talking about overdoses and ingestions. Since everyone has seen these topics at least twice now, once on step one and again on your psych shelf, I am just going to list the clinical syndrome and you tell me the treatment or the antidote or whatever you want to do for that patient, okay? Okay, let's say a patient comes in and you suspect digoxin toxicity. What do you want to treat them with? So you give them something called digibind or digifab on your exam. This is an antibody that binds the digoxin molecules. Okay, how would you guys treat an acetaminophen overdose? Good, you give NAC, also known as N-acetylcysteine. Okay, ethylene glycol toxicity. What would make you suspect this on your exam? So classically on your exam, this will present as a homeless patient or an alcoholic patient who comes in and has an increased anion gap metabolic acidosis. How do you treat this? Good. So the correct answer is either fumepazole, which is what I would pick if it's there, but if fumepazole is not an answer choice, you can also pick ethanol. Now, what about the treatment for methanol poisoning? Good. So this is the same treatment as ethylene glycol poisoning. That's going to be fomepazil or ethanol. All right, let's say you suspect that your patient has ingested some Jimson weed. What kind of toxidrome does this present as? Good, this is an anticholinergic toxidrome. And what is the treatment for anticholinergic toxidromes? The treatment is going to be physostigmine. Okay, and let's say we have a farmer come in who you suspect organophosphate poisoning in. How do you want to treat this patient? So you give this patient atropine and pralidoxine. Now this is actually very high yield, both in real life and on the exam. How long do you treat this patient with atropine for? What clinical signs indicate that you can stop giving the atropine? Good. So you give large doses of atropine continuously, stopping only once the excessive tracheobronchial secretions have ceased. Okay, so that is your endpoint. Not only did I get pimped on this multiple times, 
and I got it wrong each time, by the way. Um, I saw it on multiple QBanks, so I think this is a pretty high-yield piece of information to remember. These next couple are going to be pretty easy, so we're going to move quickly. So if a patient comes in with pinpoint pupils, you suspect opioid overdose, what do you give? Good, naloxone. Uh, let's say a patient comes in and you're suspecting a benzo overdose, what do you give them? These patients can receive flumazenil. If a patient comes in and you suspect a cocaine ingestion, what drug do you not give on the exam? Good, so you avoid beta blockers at all costs on the exam. Now, from what I've read in the literature, I'm pretty sure that there's no good data to actually suggest this in clinical practice. However, for exam purposes, they still love to test this. So do not give beta blockers to cocaine overdoses. Let's say you suspect iron overdose in a patient. What drug do you give them? Good, this drug is called defuroxamine. And one of the classic ways that they'll present an iron overdose patient to you on the exam will be a child who has ingested a bunch of mommy's pills and they'll show you a belly x-ray and you'll see a bunch of radio-opaque pills in the stomach of the kid. That is iron and you can give defuroxamine. Alright, what if a patient comes in and you suspect an aspirin overdose? So you give these patients bicarb or you send them to dialysis. The bicarb will alkalize the urine and help them excrete it faster. What is the other ingestion that you give bicarb for? Good, this is a tricyclic antidepressant overdose and you give bicarb for that. All right, how about for a beta blocker overdose? You treat these with glucagon. And how about a calcium channel blocker overdose? You also treat these with glucagon, but you might want to give IV calcium as well. Now, this next thing won't be on your exam, but I found it super interesting, and if you're a nerd like me, I would recommend reading about it. It's called high-dose euglycemic insulin therapy, and it's this relatively new kind of approach to calcium channel blocker and beta blocker overdoses where you give the patients crap loads of insulin on a drip um, and it seems to work really really well i would recommend reading about it it's fascinating but it won't be on your exam all right i'll give you a vignette here let's say a known diabetic patient comes in with hypoglycemia you give them some sugar and their sugar bounces back to normal for about an hour but then they tank again what is going on here? Do you think they're malingering? Well, they could be malingering, that's one option, and they could be taking insulin behind your back, but what I would suspect on your exam would be a sulfonylurea overdose. Maybe not intentional, regardless, sulfonylureas can cause hypoglycemia that continues to be refractory to glucose. And how do you treat a sulfonylurea ingestion? You can give these patients octreotide, which seems to really help. Okay, let's say a patient comes in and they confess to you that they tried to kill themselves by drinking rat poison. What drug does rat poison mimic? So rat poison mimics warfarin, and you need to treat this like they are supra-therapeutic on their warfarin. 
you would give them vitamin K, and then you would either give them prothrombin complex concentrate or fresh frozen plasma. Along those same lines, how would you treat a patient who's bleeding and who is supra-therapeutic on their heparin? Good, you can give protamine sulfate. Alright, let's talk about cyanide toxicity for just a minute. They like to present this in one of two different clinical scenarios. The first one would be a patient who is taking nitroprusside for an unrelated medical condition. Nitroprusside can break down into cyanide in the body and cause cyanide toxicity in rare cases. The second scenario, which is the more common one on your exam, will be a patient who just escaped from a house fire. And what happens here is that the furniture in the house is laid with a synthetic type of cloth, which when burned can release hydrogen cyanide into the air, and that gets inhaled and gets into the bloodstream. So how do you treat cyanide toxicity? So on the exam, your first choice answer should be hydroxycobalamin. But if that's not there, you can also pick sodium nitrite. That's not sodium nitrate, that's sodium nitrite. These are different molecules. And along those same lines, let's say a patient comes in and you suspect carbon monoxide poisoning. What is the treatment for carbon monoxide poisoning? Good, it's hyperbaric oxygen, or just giving them a crap load of oxygen if you don't have access to that. Now, both on the exam and in real life, if you get a pulse ox on this patient with carbon monoxide poisoning, it will not show hypoxemia, okay? You need to get a carboxyhemoglobin level to detect that. So do not trust the pulse ox on the exam if you suspect carbon monoxide poisoning. So this last one that I'm going to leave you guys with is not high yield for your exam. However, I was pimped on this twice, both during my home rotation and during my away rotation. And I got it wrong both times. So I want to save you guys from the same double mistake that I made on this ridiculously low yield pimp question. What is the treatment for a valproic acid overdose? The treatment for valproic acid overdose is L-carnitine. And that's all I have for you guys. Again, if you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions, I'm all ears. You can reach me at empodcastmike at gmail.com. Until next week, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.